in, finally! Dude, I need everybody online, now! For what? There's no time to explain! You gotta go out and get everybody! Tell them to get on their computers, go! Okay! Academic Pop Culture Analysis Roundtable with Drinking and Swearing. My name is Christopher Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Katia Gorecki. <laughs> Katia Gorecki. How's it going, Katia? I'm doing all right. Please leave that in. <laughs> nah, I'm taking it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh, it was really, that was, that was one of the more fun mispronunciations of my name. I'm trying to not, maybe I'll leave it in. I'm trying, I'm trying to like not get sick and like every every time I cough, which is what I was about to do there, I just like, oh my god, am I dying of coronavirus? <laughs> like, I mean, like literally, I'm just afraid of any sniffle at this point. So, <laughs> I mean, same. It's 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 a thing. It's a thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, well, I have. Well, 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 because I do. <laughs> I, I have to ask you something. It's been it's been a week. Oh god. Have you watched Marvel League yet? Because there's more episodes. Okay. Here's the thing, though. <laughs> I. I really amped up to watch Marble League, and because y'all have like sold it so hard, I feel like I need to be in the proper state of mind to receive Marble League. So I'm watching it this weekend. <laughs> I'm at this point. I like want to get like my own jerseys and stuff. Uh, like I, I need foam fingers. I'm, I'm 100 on in all in on Marble League. I'm hoping like I, mean, I can find merch? somewhere. Mer- yeah, I want there to be merch. I want there to be like side action bets in Vegas that I can take. I'm, I'm all about this. It's so awesome. <laughs> I mean, so we're gonna since movies it. aren't happening, we could always swap our box office game for uh, Marvel League. And that's the that's the subtle seg- the subtle segue into pointing out that I did in fact do a box office game update last night, which I hadn't done in a while on our on our spreadsheet. There's no new numbers because they're exactly where they were before. But I I've removed all the movies that have been canceled. I think you're gonna win. I, I really do think you're gonna win this year. Which I still okay for context. I have won or like I lost miserably. Yes. In previous rounds of this, because I pick movies entirely based off of whimsy, which means basically if there's a Godzilla movie, it's mine. Because also, not that anyone else wants it, but <laughs> I want it. Uh, so I I don't know how to feel about it. Actually, I do know how to feel about it. I feel both amused and mildly horrified that the only year in which I will probably ever win this game <laughs> is one in which there is a literally once in a century pandemic. Yeah. And, and, and it takes that much I, I, to push me to victory in a film prediction game. I'm not convinced there's going to be any more movies this year. And even if there are, like, you've got the last movie of the year. You have Dune, which is going to make a bunch of money. So if there are movies, it's going to be hard to catch you. And I'm I'm like, I have Wonder Woman. I should be winning. I have, like, I it's, it's literally the the, like, literally the timing of it. This is the only way I could I could possibly <laughs> ever be even in contention. I have Mulan. 
Mulan didn't come out. I don't understand. I, I know. I'm really sad about that. I want to see. I, I, All yeah. right. Well, we've talked about Marvel League. We've talked about the game. We should. We should. Well, let me introduce our guest and then we'll explain why we have the guest when you introduce what the topic is, because this should be a kind of you said this is going to be kind of a ranty show. We might be all over the oh, place. We go, we go could, get ranty. It's going to be ranty. Run long. I want to introduce a colleague of mine or I guess former because she's done and moved on to bigger, better things. And I'm lame and still trying to finish, finish a dissertation. And welcome back to the show. Josie Rush. Hey, Josie. Hey, man. Thanks for having me. Have you so have you watched Marble League yet? I haven't. I just found about out about it right before the show when you both were talking about it. And I think it's on my weekend agenda now. Yes, I'm, I'm telling you, like every, this is going to be, you know, oh, we have a YouTube channel now. So if they on YouTube, like start linking back to us on YouTube, that would be awesome because I would totally like to just I be, mean, you couldn't. You could at least add them to like our favorite videos so that listeners can find them more readily in case they don't want to use the search bars. I think I will. I think I'll add them to. So if you go to our YouTube channel and if you've not been to our YouTube channel, everyone listening should go to our YouTube channel because we're, you know, it's very new. We just started a couple weeks ago and it's mostly the, in fact, it's entirely the podcast that you've been listening to audio um, in audio format. Um, I've been going back through our back catalog, creating videos of them. And when relevant, I put up visual aids and you know clips of movies and 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 comics or whatever we're talking about so that you can sort of see what we're talking about. And I'm sort of working my way through our back catalog. And then I put new shows up as as we go as well. So um, what would help us just like, you know, you know, writing us a five star review on iTunes. You know, the other thing you can do is just right now while you're listening to this. Go to our, our website or search for Vox Popcast on YouTube and then just like and subscribe to the channel. Just do that because we need we need to have subscribers in order to become more popular. But yeah, we uh, and you'll get positive we'll karma to, and, yeah. you know, that will prevent you from ever getting COVID or something. Yes. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> That's science. Sure. <laughs> I mean, the humanities people. I don't. It's as science is the science we've been getting from some people. So it, it, I mean, That's true. Right. some people with very fancy titles. Uh, in government. That's true. We'll remain nameless because this ain't that show. That's not that show. It kind of is that show. Well, so, well, what is this show? Okay, so regular listeners will remember that on our recent propaganda uh, episode, we mentioned a social media uh, viral activist campaign called Amplify Melanated Voices, which short version is essentially the idea was that people would, white people specifically, would silence their social media feed, be it Twitter, Instagram, etc., put up a black square so that other, like, as a, as a uh, gesture of solidarity and also so that other people, uh, people of color could have, like, basically more presence in a feed. People like, like me. Logic behind- <laughs> sure, <laughs> exactly. Oh, yeah, like part me. of the logic behind this is because on most social media feeds, your visibility on the platform is determined by engagement, how many people follow you and things like that. We know that those algorithms tend to favor white people for a variety of reasons that we will get into in a different episode. I feel like I've been saying that mm-hmm. a lot. Um, but basically, algori- algorithms tend to disproportionately favor people who already have a lot of cult- cultural and social capital. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a short version. Mm-hmm. So, and we mentioned that we were going to talk a little bit more about how activism, protests, social movements manifest online, kind of, and kind of like what that's been looking like, especially in recent uh, recent days. And I especially, been, I've been wanting to do an episode on the subject for a long time because I'm someone who has very complicated and mixed feelings about it. <laughs> I, think, I think about it a lot. Um, also, as regular citizens know that both myself and Hannah Rogers were uh, union uh 
organizers within our graduate student union at Duke University. And we definitely used online platforms a lot um, to amplify our message, to stay in touch with our membership, and to basically participate in other actions in solidarity, both with our national union, um, service uh, SEIU, or uh, with other organizations that are, you know, in the triangle in North Carolina. On the other hand, (laughs) anyone who is alive on the internet, uh, especially in the last couple, you know, in the last month or so, um, will be aware that, like, social media... Like because of the performative nature of social media, right? We all want to like stuff the gram, you know. I guess what what like what is the twenty twenty equivalent of like doing it for the vine? Do it, you do it for the likes. It doesn't matter what the media, what the platform is. There we go. Do it for the likes. Yeah. It doesn't have as, as much of a catchy thing as doing it for the vine. Maybe that, you know, that, that phrase probably marks as peak millennial. We just, yeah, we just miss uh, vines. Millennials just miss vines. That's all. I know. I know. It's like just doing it for the vine to sound so much better. But, uh, right. But basically, I, there, there is a, a, a trend where, like, yeah, a lot of specifically white people, I would say also specifically, again, speaking, as I say after this podcast, speaking as a middle-aged white lady, a lot of middle-aged white pe- ladies are seem like they're engaging in a lot of this stuff for the first time simply because doing it for the vine, um, which I don't have complicated feels about that <laughs> particular element. I hate it. Um, I am not a middle-aged light, white lady, but I, 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 I kind of like the likes. <laughs> there's nothing wrong with the likes, and there's nothing wrong with sharing... There's nothing sharing. No, there's nothing wrong with sharing things that you're passionate about, or particularly for folks that are like trying to engage in anti-racism and engaging in police brutality. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe for the first time. Because like, there's a lot of people that are in that boat. One, glad you're here. Yes, absolutely. Sure. Waiting for you. Awesome. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with wanting to share that enthusiasm. Um, and wanting to share like, hey, this is what I, what like resources I've been looking at. This is actions I've been taking. Things like that. There's nothing wrong with that. I think the problem is where just like do, the doing it for the vine is where things stop. Sure. Um, I I think there's also just this huge lack of awareness where oftentimes people assume like it's just safer for me to participate politically in these spaces. And that safety is not equally given to people online. Mm -hmm. Like that that can be very dangerous for people of color, for some women, for people who aren't cisgender. That sort of participation isn't actually that much safer online if you're going to get doxxed and harassed for particular marginalized groups. Well, it's it's the issue Katya was talking about at the very beginning, um, the way algorithms work. It is safer for some people online. Yeah. And in and and in for and for some people it's actually probably even less safe. You know, for a lot of people it's probably a wash, but for some people it's probably even more safe to be marching in the streets than it is to be, you know, sort of typing somewhere that you can be more easily cyber attacked. Yeah. I mean, because you I mean, I think, yeah, Josie, to your point, like about like people, you know, I think especially people getting not only docs, but also just facing online harassment, which I think a lot of people like in my experience of organizing and knowing people who've experienced that, like even by organizers, I think often online harassment isn't taken as seriously. And not only is it emotionally, I think for a lot of people experience the same way, but I think that there's an even I think it can often be harder to get away from because so, for example, like on Instagram, I know a lot of folks. Again, go back and listen to our uh, Ravelry social activism and knitting episode for more details on this. But um, I know a few folks in the knitting community that their accounts were taken away from them because they dared mention um, like anti-racist and uh, the effort community and supporting LGBTQ visibility in the knitting community. Mm-hmm. Um, and Instagram was like, nope, we, we're not. We're taking away your account because a bunch of white supremacists effectively have reported it. So that's like a. It's not just that that's their participation in say like a protest. It's like that's a that's that was a platform where they had built an entire community that 
that around knitting and around their personal lives that was taken away from them mm-hmm. simply beca- because a bunch of, you know, a bunch of people wanted to basically harass this person because of her, you know, things that she had said as well as her identity. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, one thing that you mentioned there, I mean, I think we we definitely need to talk about is, you know, there's a safety issue, but also I, I think we should probably start with the, you know, you said the performative nature on, of online. That's a word you and I and Josie probably use a lot more uh, than, you know, regular people, um, at least the way we use it. Like when we mm-hmm. say that being online is performative, I don't know if that's like really clear. Like I, like when we were planning this show, I kept calling it the hashtag activism show, um, which is yeah. sort of me making um, sort of a derisive little joke. But also, I don't know that it, uh, hashtag activism is not actually bad. It's also not actually good. It's different. And we'll get into the details of that uh, that in a bit but when you say doing it for the vine and when you say performative nature of of activism online and just performative identity online we should like kind of get into a little bit of what that is and why it matters in in an activism space yeah so in this context when i think of like performative activism what i when i like what i'm thinking about is something is an action what i'm talking i'm talking about posts where somebody is saying you know, for example, maybe reading, I don't know, Angela Davis for the first time. Great. <laughs> should read Angela Davis anyway. But um, and post about it on Instagram. Have they read it? No idea. Will they read it? No idea. Is their reading of Angela Davis that they may or not may not do going to translate the concrete action? Who knows? Um, it's basically a post that they've made to be like, hey, look, I'm like doing, you know, what we like people often refer to online as the work mm-hmm. uh, so that I can make myself look good to my followers mm-hmm. um and more importantly so i can basically like tell myself yes uh as the poster that i am doing something meaningful absent mm-hmm. of something that is actually meaningful action um so that's what or even that's in, what i'm go ahead yeah i was gonna say even in addition to i mean so there's a i mean you might really be doing something useful you might be marching in the streets you might be donating money you could be a lawyer you know you know struggling for civil rights for uh for transgender people i don't know what you do um so you might actually be doing activism stuff but the point of uh, the the really simple ones and the like the jaded ones are you know we talked about on the on the copaganda episode right Paw Patrol didn't need to post a black square. Paw Patrol posted a black yeah. square so they could say, you know, we're in the club of activist people. You know, it, it, it was entirely a it was a performance. It was a so, you know, we care. And, and it's the same. It's the kind of thing that, you know, companies do it, but regular people do it. You know, why do I post? Why did everybody change their avatar to I support Black Lives Matter? It's not doing anything other than sort of announcing to the world. I am, you know, and I think there's a, there's a benefit to that. There's a benefit to a show of solidarity among the entire world. Um, so I don't uh, I, like the problem is people and often take performative to be a negative. I don't mean it necessarily right. is. It is yeah. it is a thing that you're doing. You are performing the visual action that is not exactly the same as activism. It's just sort of uh, here's what we've done. You know, we are we are announcing we are, you know, uh, the ice bucket challenge is the one that I always always point to. Most people who did the ice bucket challenge didn't actually donate money to anywhere. Most people did, who did the ice bucket challenge didn't actually march in the streets. You know, they don't care about ALS. It's it was really just a meme. It was like, I am doing the ice bucket challenge and here I am wet. Mm-hmm. You know, that was a performance. And that was like a well, among a lot of um, that was a, like a well-documented crit- criticism of mm-hmm. the ice bucket, the ice bucket challenge when it was going viral was that basically like, yes, it's raising a ton of money, which is really great. But like in how is this viral media campaign translating into 
like meaningful outcomes or a question of even whether or not it did. It's mm-hmm. one of the things that like it raised. I mean, despite the fact that not everyone raised it, like necessarily donating money that did the ice bucket challenge, it raised like massive amounts of money. Mm-hmm. If, if, which is if 1% of the people who did the ice bucket challenge donated money, that's great. You know, cause that's, that's yeah. still, that's still millions more dollars than they were going to get. So it, it, you know, otherwise so wonderful, but it is still not the same as the people who are donating money are not the same as people who are just like, Hey, I also dumped ice on my head, you know? Well, yeah. And I think part of the thing, if we're talking about, you know, performativity, right. Might be just like, if we're thinking theoretically, when I normally am talking about performativity, I'm thinking about gender and sexuality mm-hmm. and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily always connected to inauthenticity, which I don't think right. is what anybody is saying, but well, I think people hear this, it that way. Exactly. I think people hear it people that way and, that. and we don't mean it that way. Exactly. Yeah. And that's not what we're saying, but there is this connotation with performativity where it's always stuck in the realm of the discursive. Mm-hmm. And nobody here is saying language doesn't or can't construct or change reality, but oftentimes it's not enough to just stay in the realm of the discursive. Mm-hmm. And, and that's like the real thing that I think a lot of people are calling out when they're saying this is purely performative. People mm-hmm. want it to move somewhere else. Yeah. No one's saying you're disingenuous. No one's saying you don't care about black mm-hmm. lives or diseases or whatever. Ever, but in fact, you almost certainly do. Exactly. You, you, you right. almost certainly. Otherwise, you wouldn't be doing it. If you weren't, if you didn't care, you would be doing the opposite kind of performative action. You'd be posting a rebel flag or something. You know, yep. like we, we understand that you care. <laughs> so I think it, it, it is a weird. It, it, it is a very I mean, it, in a respect, you know, marches are about the same thing. That's also a performance, right? Like when you're if everything goes well and you're marching for BLM or you're marching for you're marching for pride, you know, something that's not really happening this year because all the pride events were canceled. But those are just a those are a performance of your activism. It, it is literally an announcement. It's a, it's a show of force in a way. And I think the pride thing is interesting because it might let us talk a little bit about like what happens when that performance is purely virtual, because you're absolutely right. The march marching is performative. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And it's about like cultivating community and uniting under a common ideology often. But mm-hmm. is there and about getting attention and about yeah. getting attention and virtue signaling happens when we're marching just as mm-hmm. maybe, you know, we don't mm-hmm. see it as much as we do when we're scrolling through Facebook or whatever. But what is what is the difference between performativity in the virtual world and performativity in person? And I, I think that that's like part of the crux of it. Sometimes there's a big difference. Sometimes sometimes there's you know the consequences are similar i think one mm-hmm. of the things that's a big difference to me and it's, it's really interesting because i often make the show the joke on this show about you know don't read the comments online i do it so that you don't have to but i really do read online comments in a lot of uh really scary places with like not a lot of very nice people that you wouldn't want to associate with no things that i've noticed that i've noticed is if you're talking about say the incels or the you know your rebel flag people your maga people um a big difference from when 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 blm got really big after this most recent time i shouldn't say when they got really big this most recent flare up after the george floyd murder um there are a certain there's a certain group of people who I watch who are very actively, well, I don't care if they protest, but why do they have to block the streets? Why do they have to do this? Why, right. you know, you should protest where it's, where it's not bothering anybody. Well, <laughs> exactly no, the point of protesting. Right. Because that's the, you know, the entire point of having a pride march or a BLM march or walking across a fucking bridge in Selma, if you want to go way, way back. Right. 
Like the mm-hmm. entire point of that is the disruption. That's what, you know, you're noticing me because, you know, you're a person who maybe has never had to deal with sexism or mm-hmm. racism or any other ism, right? Like maybe you're a person who's not had to do this. This is bringing it to your attention and mm-hmm. to a respect the performative nature of things like, um, like the, like the black square movement that, that Katya talked about at the very beginning to an extent. Yes, that is probably bringing awareness to other people. However, probably for most people, you have at this point sort of, um, I, I would I would say siloed. I guess the more internet-y speak way would say you've social media bubbled yourself to the fact away to the place mm-hmm. that like most people for most people if you're posting a Black Lives Matter you know hashtag Black Lives Matter probably most people who post that most not all certainly but uh you know most of the people who are going to see that are people who already agree with you you know right. and that's kind of and that's not how a pride march works right a pride march doesn't walk through um some do but you know pride marches are walking down the middle of downtown where straight people are, you know, or, yeah. or where people who, who don't necessarily agree with um, the gay agenda, you know, you know, people who, people who might not agree with it will see it. You're not doing your pride March, you know, only in San Francisco, <laughs> you know, you, mm-hmm. I mean, there certainly is one there, but like, you're not doing the pride marches that make that really, you know, that, Part of it is asking for, you know, virtue signaling. Right. That's another word that people take the wrong way that actually has some good points to it. But, you know, the virtue, well, virtue si- signaling to me yeah. is like, I mean, which is part of what protests do both online and off is like it's about reinforcing what our cultural norms are. Right. Like it's about basically. So like when I, like, you know, so say if I am walking around, say, wearing a Black Lives Matter t-shirt or something like that, I am asserting like, like, hey, this is what I believe in. Like, this is what I believe in. If I'm doing it with a group of like 50, 60, 100, 200 people. We are asserting this is what our community collective believes in. Um, yes, yes. And it is this, and protests like that that are about like basically asserting what our cultural norm is like, what, what we either believe the cultural norm to be, or in this case, what we aspire the cultural norm to be, is about making people feel uncomfortable who might not share that belief, or if at the very least, who haven't really thought about it. Mm-hmm. Like, That's yeah, the entire point. It's about basically confronting, you know, say like, yeah, like you mentioned, like, you know, maybe like like a white person who's never had to deal with racism was like, hey, this is a thing you should care about and actively be a part of because mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z. Yeah. I- or if not, you should at least be annoyed that I'm blocking traffic. Yeah, absolutely. Right. And and you should be peer pressured, which is, I think, peer pressure is another thing that, like, is often has another connotation. Mm-hmm. By the mere volume of people wearing the Black Lives Matter t-shirt, you should, you, like, and I say you as, like, this hypothetical racist person in the world, you know, <laughs> with our t-shirt, like, that person should feel You, the man in the red hat. <laughs> right. Socially, basically, like, like, basically, socially peer pressured into feeling like they cannot espouse their harmful views in public in our community. Mm-hmm. Like, it is, it is, or it can be, not always, but it can be an act of basically saying like you know a, a lot of times in cultural studies we talk we talk about like how you're how in in groups and out groups are defined a protest can be a way of defining an in group and an out group yeah we're saying the in group of what our community is is the people with the black lives matter t-shirt that are saying that this is this is an important thing and we need to fight against you know be anti-racist and then we're saying anyone who is not doing those things is not our community yeah yeah which i think is really interesting in terms of like what actually that online space can be for and like historically has been for because it almost seems like map when you pointed out like so many people who are posting like black lives matter on facebook mm-hmm. aren't necessarily sharing that with an audience who's going to like engage with who they're who they're changing minds right 
But um, discursive spaces are the spaces where like we can kind of organize and iron out our ideology Mm -hmm. and be a little more exclusive sometimes. Mm -hmm. Though historically, there's like a really one dangerous side to that. And we can see that on a lot of, you know, for example, different lesbian websites that are now saying like to be exclusive and form our ideology, we have to be massive TERFs. And mm-hmm. exclude trans people. Um, mm-hmm. And we're also write, seeing... Write books about wizards. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um, and then we're seeing, like, in the 50s, lesbians could not necessarily be exclusive in these spaces because they were being censored. So lesbian magazines have a lot of straight people participating in them to mm-hmm. give them this sense of authenticity so that the government's not going to say, you can't circulate this sort mm-hmm. of information. Now... One of the things that I think is interesting about that is just that, like, again, going back to the algorithm thing that we talked about at the beginning, this sort of difficulty has existed before the Internet has existed. Absolutely. Absolutely. Right? You can even get those exclusive organizing spaces and then, like, what kind of evil they might do with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I don't... This is again going to the good, trying to. Sorry, not to be dark or good. They might do with them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and well, and that's kind of what I was getting at. Like, I don't want to. It's always weird to like sort of be critical. You know, you're critics. That's literally what the three of us do. Um, but being critical of something like this because it is a good thing. We have to. When we did the Black Lives Matter show a few weeks ago, we ran into the same thing. It's like I know it sounds like I'm being critical of people that I want to agree with me, and I am, and Josie is, and Katya is. And we and we're the hope is, you know, this show here, Vox Popcast, is not any better. I know that there aren't Trump voters listening to this show. We're not stupid, right? <laughs> like we're not like so, you know, there's only so much we can say to change minds like with this show, because no one no one in their right mind who is a massive Donald mm-hmm. Trump supporter is going to listen to our show. It doesn't make any sense. The hope is that we sort of make the people who do agree with us, you know, sort of understand things a little better so that that message gets stronger. And I think that there is a benefit to that. If nothing else, when you have um, when a George Floyd gets murdered and all of my white friends, which I have many white friends, you know, when all of my white Amen. friends are suddenly posting Black Lives Matter, you know, there is a little bit of a thank you. You know, thank you for caring a little bit about, you know, me, the black guy who kind of wants to not get murdered. Um, you know, I like that. Like there is a there is an extent of that. And, uh, you know, like if I if I say something in support of I'm trying to think of an issue, OK, something an issue that I can never, ever, ever have to personally deal with um, abortion never is going to really matter to me. Right. I'm never going to have one. I can't don't have the hardware. Um, however, if I say something supporting a woman's right to choose, can I, I mean, I'm not the legislature. I'm not in the Supreme Court. I'm not changing anything. But there is there is a there is a bit of usefulness to me sort of being in the club. Right. <laughs> like, you know, to like yeah, sort of, like you said, like, building the community. Yeah. Building the community. And also, I think like, like, again, reinforcing like what, you know, we, you know, you might want cultural norms to be right. like it's it, like when you make the like pro like a pro choice post or something like that it's about like signaling to whoever your followers are like hey you should maybe think about this mm-hmm. yeah so one of the questions i 
I think we're headed towards a subject that, Matt, you raised before we started recording, and that I think is really important to talk about because, first of all, like, repeat everything that Matt and Josie just said. I think of, like, one of the things is also, like, one of the, the reason we have these critical conversations is also because, or speaking for me personally, these are conversations I've been having with myself for literally years <laughs> on this particular subject. Um, because I'm somebody who spends a lot, fair amount of time online. Hello, my Instagram and all the sewing stuff that I do. And is also somebody who cares about these social issues and figuring out like what my responsibility is or what my role is on merging those two when it's appropriate to do so. And, you know, my Instagram is sewing and cats 99.9% <laughs> of the time. But I do use it to talk about, you know, especially when I, when I was doing, when I was co-chair of my union, like I would use it to talk about union actions or things that were going on nationally. I mm -hmm. posted Black Lives Matter stuff because even COVID like, stuff, you, know, you, you, you spent like when, this, COVID when this first started, when the entire lockdown first started, you had a good two weeks there of yeah here's some patterns that you can use to make math that's yeah, useful. yeah and i think to like, uh, yeah oh i'm to, to just echo and re-emphasize both of you i think something too that we're all saying is like it's not as though the organizing and ideology building you do online is less important than the things you might do in person and it's not as though it's a linear mm -hmm. process like a lot of the mm -hmm. time you might organize online yeah. get out in the streets and then you know when you're sending messages about the union, you might be reorganizing again, right? Because mm -hmm. things didn't go mm -hmm. the way you want them to go. So all of these are like mm -hmm. necessary ingredients at this point in our cultural moment, I think, to a political movement. Like even just thinking about yeah. how the right has mobilized the internet for their version of activism. Absolutely. Like, that, that's not, this isn't really a field that we can just surrender and be like, oh, well, it's not that important. Nothing ever happens on here. So much mm -hmm. happens on here and it's right. so important. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's a big world. <laughs> There's a lot to do. Yeah. And for me, I think a lot of it is thinking about what, like what specific actions achieve online. Like Mad, before we started recording, you talked about the difference between education and activism. Because to me, and I talk about this a little bit in my post, because to me, the way that I use social media, I don't, I don't consider that activism or organizing. I consider it at, at most education. Basically, I'm using social media to follow, you know, activists and organizations that I care about so that I know what actions they're working on that I can basically pitch in on when I can. And then also sharing those resources with others, which is to me, that's education. And that's part of like doing this nebulous idea of like what people call the work. Mm hmm. But sure. it's not the same as activism. And I think to me, I think it's important to distinguish between those things because education is super important. In most cases, it's a prerequisite to doing more concrete action that leads to cultural change, policy change, what have you. At least any direct action. I mean, otherwise right. you're just shooting but in the it dark. it isn't the same thing. Mm -hmm. Can either of you maybe talk about where you feel like you draw that line? Because I, I do agree with you. There's a difference between education and activism. But in my own research, I've sometimes struggled to really draw a line, especially when I'm looking at kind of like historical work folks have done around educating, totally. you know, their oppressors, for example. For me, I think there's a continuum. Like, I don't know. I don't know that it's actually that easy. Like, I, I agree. I think it's tough. Yeah. I think that at the point at which you so the absolute education side would be uh, the person again uh, on, on the um, your black friends are tired episode. Caitlin made the comment that, you know, there are people who are literally just going out and buying buying or taking out of the library books on on black people or written by black people. Yes. They're not doing anything. Right. Maybe they're reading them. Maybe they're not. But let's say they're reading them and they're just reading them to become a better person for themselves. That's right. great. That is super awesome. If you, you know, Wayne will will say that like, you know, he said uh, he said the very first 
hardback book he bought in his life was Roots because he saw the miniseries on TV and was like, oh, my God, I need to read that. Wayne for, you know, again, he's not on this episode, but Wayne is from an area of Pennsylvania where there's probably three black people in a hundred mile radius. Like he he lives in a or not lives in because he doesn't live there anymore, but he was born in a very, very, very rural part, part of the country where there's very little people, period, much, much less non-white people. So he learned about these things by reading. He educated himself. But that's not activism. Mm-hmm. That's just him striving to become a better person on his own. And and it's Which great. Which is awesome. And, you know, he's he's obviously our friend. That's why he hosts the show with us. But um the but on the other end, and you've got people who are uh, Nelson Mandela, who <laughs> took so who went, you know, who everything was about activism was about making South Africa a better place, uh, in, including getting thrown into jail for decades for his beliefs. That is mm-hmm. being an activist. And I think for most of us, we're somewhere in between. We're trying to learn and we're trying to use what we learn to make the world a better place. And, you know, it's sort of weird because we sort of talk about things like we're, you know, like activism, education are only on our side. But Josie, you, you even made the point about the right, you know, the MAGA people, the rebel flag mm-hmm. people, they're doing the same thing. They're doing the same kind of activism and performative action online where they post their constant, you know, why can't I believe in my heritage? You know, that's, you know, maybe not educated, educated correctly. It might be based on lies, but that's still, you know, the ideology varies behind what things are. I think that there's a performance that you're doing to make the world different. And then there's also taking information in for yourself. And I don't know that there's a clear line in most things because probably most things are a little of A and a little of B. Yeah, I would agree with all of that. And I think for me, I I have a line that's a little bit more more like firmly drawn that I use for like myself just to make sure that I'm doing the things that basically I want to be doing. But like that's a personal line for me where it's like to me, I distinguish education are things that are about like Matt said, it's like making my making myself a more informed person and sharing those things that I find useful with other people. And then, but also making sure that that is balanced with things that are contributing in some way, either big or small to things like concrete policy changes, for example. So like, you know, say like, and this is not like I have a formula for this, but like, say like for, you know, for every, you know, book, book or article I read, I make sure I'm also spending time like signing petitions getting in contact with local organizations when I can, things like that. Um, Especially for me recently, a lot of it's been uh, odd odd because I've started a new job in the last two months, but having a lot of conversation, like having a lot of conversation in my workplace um, with how to respond to these things effectively, um, which thankfully I'm not the only one in and my, you know, I haven't been fired yet, which is nice. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I just came from other places where that was a possibility. Uh, Yeah, so I think like, I think it is totally continuum. And I think the other thing is also which which makes it complicated to draw the line is like you can't I don't think it's possible to participate in concrete, meaningful and especially sustainable change without also following that up with education. Mm-hmm. I know that's not possible for me. I think there's a lot of activism online that I think is not educated. And I mean that on all sides. I oh, mean, I mean that even from a liberal point of view, I think that there's a I think that you might nebulously feel like, well, I don't want black people to be, to be shot. So therefore, Black Lives Matter. Yeah. And uh, what are people saying now? People are saying defund the police. Okay, that too. I think there are a lot of people who are 
literally just saying the right things. And I think that's helpful, but I think you certainly get better change if you educate yourself and know and know things more than what, you know, what memes to forward. So, yeah. So I think that's a great point. And Mav, like you brought up an example earlier that I think really illustrates this is so like the ACLS, like ice bucket challenge, having a massive influx of money and publicity is super, you know, super helpful for building any kind of, you know, movement, social change, or in this case, um, you know, raising money and awareness about a disease. On the other hand, uh, if that's a one-time thing, it's not sustainable and the impact of it is not necessarily as great as if that same amount of attention and contributions were distributed over, say, like five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the things that I think is uh, interesting, having watched a lot of, you know, for example, bail funds right now, mm -hmm. bail funds are getting so much money right now because of Black Lives Matter, because of everyone's attention on George Floyd, Amon Arbery, Breonna Taylor, that they have more money than they literally know what to do with or can handle. Right. Mm -hmm. I've seen so many bail funds that have basically said, like, please don't send us money mm -hmm. right now. Gotta wait for more people to get um, arrested, which sucks, but you know, but that's the reality right, of it. Right. And so they're like, so, and, and I think that really illustrates the issue is like what, what they need really is they don't need your hundred dollars. What they need is your $5 monthly contribution for the next three years. Right. right. Um, or $1 monthly contribution for the next three years or whatever it is, because that's actually, I mean, from, I mean, this is one of the reasons why, I mean, this is different context, but union dues. This mm -hmm. is a reason why you have monthly union dues. You don't pay up front. Mm -hmm. Um, because we need an ongoing, in order to continue doing the labor organizing that is part of being in a union, we need to have a sustained, basically, revenue stream, right. essentially. It's the same thing for any nonprofit or any other organization. And same thing in this case for medical research. I'll give you another, to, another example, yeah, just that I know, is um, that after both 9-11 and after Hurricane Katrina, I know these for sure. Um, but probably after lots of other national na national disasters or natural disasters, both. Um, there is an influx, a massive influx of people going to donate blood to the Red Cross yeah. to the point that the Red Cross has to often shut it off because, you know, no, we only need so much blood during a time of crisis because we only have so much storage, you know, um, yeah. and there's only so many people, you know, so many people who are asking for blood. What they need is yeah. they need you to go donate blood when um, somebody didn't just destroy a building. Like, right. that's, like that. And it's kind of weird because, the, you know, these sort of you sort of think about it during these performative moments. You, yeah. When there's a massive event, that's when you think, oh, I should go donate money. I should go donate blood. But there there's sort of a, you know, there is sort of a difference. I wonder how many people yeah. did the ice bucket challenge who have no idea what it was for. And yeah, it's, I'm sure. I mean, it's right. not I think, good, but it's right. certainly and, good that they did it. But right. And there's you know. still like a right. and research suggests that, in fact, that happened a lot of the time. Most people uh, like so basically a lot of a lot of critics that have looked into like the outcomes of that particular viral campaign because it was a massively successful viral campaign. Like no one's disputing yeah. that. Right. Um, a lot of people that have looked into basically the ongoing effects of that have basically figured out like, OK, like this was a great this was great for the, those two years. But there was not as much education mm -hmm. around the disease as was originally hoped for because people were participating in the viral campaign rather than really being educated on the disease. And and there wasn't that sustainable like that. that basically, you got got like a massive influx of resources rather than sustainable over the time stuff, which is what you need in order to produce scientific research, scientific research mm -hmm. on medical, like, you know, medical conditions takes years, decades. sometimes decades. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I think something that everyone's kind of pointing to is like one of the mm-hmm. one of the ways we know something has crossed that spectrum from education to activism is whenever it becomes systemic. Right. Like right. I definitely after George Floyd was murdered, I ran across this article that was like when black people are murdered, white people join book clubs. And I felt <laughs> so called out by that because I am a white person who loves her book clubs and who has had the privilege of being like very educated and often my first instinct in tragedy is to become yet you know even more educated right um (laughs) and just thinking about how you know that is that is not a systemic thing for me a woman with a phd to sit in a book club reading you know one of the six books on anti-racism that were going around these past two months that have been sitting on my bookshelf for like you know a year (laughs) But it's better than the people who didn't do that, right? It's it's sort it of is. a, it's yeah, sort it of is, a weird right? thing. A, but it's still it not matter. activism, right? Right. Like, like <laughs> that's still not activism for me. And so I, I do think that like yeah. something we're pointing to is there needs to be something systemic that's happening. And like joining a book club mm-hmm. is not systemic, and posting hashtags mm-hmm. is not systemic. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't mean it's without value because those things might lead you to systemic, yes. you know, you know, action. And I think that's one of the things that I actually find really useful about. Um, online organizing online and social media campaigns particularly like i said earlier like for me like instagram is a surprisingly useful tool to make sure that i have like a lot of these issues stay top of mind i follow a lot of activists that basically show up in my feed on the daily so that even when it's not in the mainstream news all the time i'm still thinking about it and keeping myself like Mm -hmm. in the the mindset of like this is what you know these are the actions i can take this week not just like this is my one-time thing i'm going to do you know flavor of the month and then and not think about it for two years. Well, yeah, and and it well because what ends up happening is um, a lot of the the way that hashtags work, the way that this sort of thing happens is it, it performance tends to be ephemeral. Um, mm-hmm. You know, this month we care about BLM. Next month, when somebody, um, or actually last month, it was all about wearing masks and COVID and stuff. And then next month, when somebody shoots up a school, we'll care about that. And then the month after that, when some poor gay person is murdered, you know, we're all going to be all about that. And then, like, we'll go back to caring about a black person when when the next big black person gets gets murdered and makes the news. Right. Like that's it's sort of a that's not sustained action. It's good, but it's not it, it, it is not it doesn't cause the kind of cultural change. I think people think it does. And I think one thing we should probably mm-hmm. talk about is what is cultural change exactly? Because the three of us know that culture changes real slow like molasses slow it's it 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 is it is a very slow glacial thing that i think that people sort of you know and then with occasional massive landslides that like you know that like um the 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 one that i one of the things that i point to that i think is amazing is how much the me too movement got done in a real short amount of time Mm -hmm. uh, um comparatively Mm -hmm to how things things normally work which you know in a lot of ways was a reaction directly to trump being elected you know the 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 Mm -hmm. me too movement sort of really starts and it gets a lot of positive change and it seems like wow they got a lot done in the oh six months that women have been oppressed oh wait no it's not really (laughs) been six months right like when you realize oh this was you know like it seems like the me too movement like happened real real fast until you ask anita hill how long she'd been complaining before we actually took her you know literally clarence thomas those those trials were those hearings 
were a couple of decades ago and it took us two decades to pay attention to her. But it seemed like the Me Too movement. It seemed like a we call it the Me Too movement. Mm -hmm. We seem it seems like this hashtag got everything done. But really, the change is actually really, really slow. And the the example and it's yeah. built on literally decades of yeah, work, decades, that centuries. It wasn't necessarily visible. Which, like, the mm-hmm. same thing is happening with Black Lives Matter. Right. I mean, I th- and I think in some ways, Black Lives Matter, like the movement, is a really good example. Black Lives Matter started six years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just, I think, in the last year, like we were talking about cultural change. It's probably, I think, just in the last year that that's become like so mainstream that even like major corporations who normally like get their panties in a twist over saying like the, mo- the least political stance are putting you know, black squares up on their 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 PR feed right. not because necessarily and I also want to be clear when corporations do that it's because it's like it's largely because it's a PR stunt like there's right. a that reason they're posting it now and not three years ago because mm-hmm. three years ago they might have lost customers like I think that's it like weirdly it's a signal I think of a how much cultural change has actually happened is because like basically right. the, this is that to me signals it's like okay so this is largely no longer controversial right when we're looking at the mainstream and that doesn't mean that there's not still like people who disagree and that definitely doesn't mean that there's not still like work to be done educating convincing etc but if it's gone mainstream enough that basically major companies think it's in their best interest to throw their weight behind this yes that's actually really huge oh yeah we just Um, got out of pride month so like companies officially stopped caring about queer people like a week ago yeah till next year yeah. <laughs> right, yeah, we got a year. Well, and then we'll get some rainbow swag. The Washington Redskins are thinking about changing their name. They're not ah, tra- yeah. they're not because they yeah. want to make the world better, but because they're doing the math and they're realizing they're losing more money on keeping the yep. name than they are uh, yep. like than they are <laughs> than they are on changing it. And 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 5 years ago, they would have lost more money by changing their name. Um same thing, you, you know, it's right. it's really I'm I'm trying to think of a of good examples um the Cleveland Indians. I'm from Cleveland. I am an Indians fan. I am a fan of that baseball team. And you know what? They're going to change their name. You know how you know? Because if you actually ask anybody from Cleveland and to think about it, when's the last time they really made a big deal of them, of their name being the Indians? They barely mention it. They call themselves Cleveland. Um, we had a mascot, a very racist caricature of a, of a Native American called Chief Wahoo, which I loved as a kid because, you know, I wasn't really thinking about what it was. <laughs> but but Chief yeah. Wahoo, Chief Wahoo disappeared from the Indians uniform like four years ago. They didn't tell anybody. They just saw the tide turning. So it just got smaller and smaller every year. And then it just wasn't. I'm not joking. Every year it was smaller and smaller. And then they replaced well, the logo they on the hat. didn't want the attention of removing it publicly. Right. They never did. They changed it into a C and didn't say anything. And then if you just look at their, at their uniforms from year to year, it's just subtly different to where they're just hoping nobody notices. And that's how cultural change usually yeah. works. It's just it's slow and glacial. And what I think is interesting is like when when a Donald Trump gets elected, you have people, people who are friends of mine. I know people who end every tweet in hashtag resist. That's not doing anything. That's not what a resistance looks like Um, when like people want, you know, the sort of, you know, the people on the right uh, who say, you know, you should be protesting on your own time. Don't kneel during the national anthem. You should be protesting, not in the streets. You know, don't don't disturb me. People sort of want the protest and they want activism to be simple and easy and polite. And it can be. But when changes really happen or changes really happen when people get murdered, when when a Martin Luther King gets shot, when a Malcolm X gets shot. And I think it's no mistake. Like, I mean, the two examples we've brought up. So, I mean, Me Too happening right after the Trump election, which was. I think probably the most divisive 
American national election in modern history? Probably. Yeah. Um, and so a lot of people were very visibly upset for a lot of reasons. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of people, they saw that as a moment of like a reckoning with basically an American culture that they didn't think actually was a thing. (laughs) So that's a moment of like, like massive stress and cultural upheaval Mm -hmm. in one respect. And I think, I mean, it, it is also no mistake that like, you know, what we're seeing right now in response to George Floyd's murder is happening right now in the midst of, you know, the worst disease outbreak in modern history. Mm -hmm. Like, we were already like going into like uh, May and June. Like we're already in a global state of very high stress. Mm-hmm. Every cultural, like structural cultural norm that we, you know, were practicing, you know, a year ago today is, if not no longer existent, radically different. So mm-hmm. we've already basically everyone's already in a heightened state of stress and a heightened state of already the culture is unsettled, which basically is like the perfect time to have have massive cultural change actually mm-hmm. become a visible thing. Like, and this was already, and I'm not saying that like Black Lives Matter is now making progress because COVID. Right. Black Lives Matter and, you know, the work that that organization has been built on going back basically to like reconstruction, Mm -hmm. like hit hit a like spike because of this. The defund the police movement, to go back to our cop again, the defund the police movement has been around for decades. It started started mattering two weeks ago. Like that's. (laughs) And most people are hearing about police abolition for the first time in their lives right right now. And that's amazing. But it doesn't mean that it really happened overnight, you know, sort of right. So, in a yeah. lot of ways. Like, so what these what the hashtag activism does is it's sort of it might not be causing the change, but it's sort of it, it's sort of a marker of, hey, you know, we're listening like at the point, you know, like you said, it's it, it, it's a hey, look how far we've come to where like like when you have Paw Patrol taking this seriously, that's a big deal. It's still so weird. Yeah. <laughs> Like that's and and I think that and I think that happens with um you know like I said cultural changes usually happen massive cultural changes usually happen for violence everybody who always says you know you know riots never solved anything no you're wrong um trust me you you know we study culture for a living most things happen because of riots or or outright murders you know again you know Martin Luther King you have a forty hour work week because of riots Stonewall like they're like they're like they're all riots or Kent State you know or massacres they that's what causes change and it's sucks you know but like how many how many bloodless coups can you name in history you know wars are violent that's and so what i think the activism does is it's sort of a build up to that and to the extent that the internet can be a part of that it's good but it's not really a a replacement i think people think that uh, i think that there's sort of an idea of i'm just going to keep posting these hashtag activism things Mm. and and that's my part and it it's an important thing but you should try to do more is is it right for sure and and stonewall is important if it's coupled with other things and that doesn't necessarily mean it can't be also online like if you're Mm -hmm. if you basically if you're if your role in the you know hashtag resistance is spending you know your saturday morning writing your senators about every issue you care about good for you yeah and like signing petitions great like Mm -hmm. if for some reason you can't leave your house because you're an at-risk person and covid is happening or you have some other reason why you're housebound you can't go into protest like children and you're doing things online awesome great you have children you know anything yeah and i and i think too with a lot of the stuff that matt brought up right like stonewall is stonewall partially because there were newspapers around that covered stonewall so people could hear about it right so the first time gay people were ever killed right and it's not the first time that we rioted and it's not the first time we threw things through windows right 
but it is one of the first times that it gets published publicized nationally and that's one of the roles that the internet plays for us Mm -hmm. with with of course the caveat that information is completely um manipulatable (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's a different issue but yeah yeah i don't well like we wouldn't know like most people would not know about the murder of george floyd Mm -hmm. was it was it not for the internet exactly and i think one of the interesting things like to your point is like the internet has made it possible you know we don't all have equal platforms because you know i only have like 400 followers on the internet i'm sure other people have million thousands you know hundreds Mm -hmm. of thousands if not millions so we don't all have equal like reach on the internet but we all do or can have a space to post something publicly Mm -hmm. yes and i think that that's that's something that i think is you know it's not entirely new like there were there were independent publishers before this there were zines there were other ways to get the word around but it's much easier to post that stuff now yes. it's much clearer how to do it and it's much faster yep. importantly yep and you're trying to and you're trying to reach a critical mass um which i think is exactly. one one last thing i want to I, I want to touch on because this is one of the things i just want to touch on some of the stuff that doesn't work and because I, I get frustrated a lot from you know we this is one where i will be critical of people um activism is hard and it, it, cultural change is slow it's hard it's difficult and this comes up all this comes up a lot for instance you know i've i've been involved in like some sort of racial protest or not or another since i was like seven years old I, it, it's a it's been a constant with me because of my family and you end up with people saying stuff like that like they're i think a couple of days ago they had blackout day where they're like hey you know if every black person in America just refuses to spend money on at all for one day, the economy will take such a hit that they'll have to pay attention to us. No, that does not work. It also does not work to just not buy gas one day. It also does not work, you know, because they always say, well, you know, we we stopped. We changed the world with the bus boycott. Yeah, that was 13 months because you need sustained yeah. pain. You cannot like if you just decide to not buy something on one day. You know what's going to happen? You'll buy it tomorrow or the day before. Right. Like it doesn't actually work to not buy gas for one day or not buy food for one day because that sustained pressure, the same thing that makes companies or charities need sustained income coming in. It works the other way, too. Mm-hmm. You can't just take away income from one day and expect anything to happen because the entire point of capitalism is that it is resistant to that sort of thing. The market's not stupid. You know, it's right. bad, but it's not stupid. I mean, <laughs> that's why, like, in labor, like, you know, from, again, not to harp on labor activism, but also, uh, I mean, that's why a one-day strike is not really, like, if you're going to strike, you're going to strike, which is why that's such a big deal. Mm-hmm. Is like you're asking people to, you know, give up their livelihood. Their, you know, or- obviously risk their employment, but also walk off the job for days, weeks, sometimes even months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One day is a show of force and it doesn't do much. It, you know, it's, it's largely performance. It's just visual. Yeah. And, and like in some cases it can be a, like I've, I've seen places, I mean, especially for like a workplace walkouts, it's, I mean, it has a similar effect to what we were talking about earlier is like the, like as a pro it is more as a protest than an actual right. strike or a boycott. Mm-hmm. And which, I mean, those are, those are sometimes happen in different tactics, like in similar, they look similar from the outside, but they're actually very different tactics. Mm-hmm. Like a one day walkout is a protest, not a strike. Mm-hmm. Right. It's drawing attention to something and it might be used as a threat of a of a of a full like prolonged strike, but it's not a strike. Mm-hmm. Whereas a six month 
12 month or even like a six week boycott is a prolonged we are affecting your bottom line financial action, yeah. which is yeah, different. like saying I'm not going to buy from Amazon for, you know, like this week because they treat their workers like garbage is a protest. <laughs> Basically divesting myself in every way from my Amazon and encouraging other people to do the same. That's leading towards a boycott. Mm-hmm. And it's hard and you can't, you know, it's really so the reason I think people want to do it is they people if you go back to our petitions act episode where people talk about like how easy it is to make an Internet petition. The fact that it's so mm-hmm. easy actually makes it a little less effective. Right. People people mm-hmm. people will make people will make petitions to you know remake The Last Jedi. They're not going to remake The Last Jedi. They're not. You know why? You already paid for it. They don't care about you. You know, <laughs> you know, so like when you when you when you are only when you're trying to make it easy on yourself, like an actual boycott, actual boycotts usually cause a lot of pain to the person doing the boycott. And that's how you know it's effective Absolutely. because because right. the larger organization is more resilient than you. You have to be will, really willing to suffer. The Montgomery boy, bus boycott worked because like those people walk miles and miles and miles to work for a year in order to avoid paying the bus company in order to make them make them hurt. And it took, you know, it hurt the people doing it. It's like, you know, it's like sort of burning your city down during a riot, right? Yes, you're hurting yourself, Mm -hmm. but you're making people notice because at this point, the bigger guy only notices if you hurt yourself more. So if if you think it's easy to do a protest, it's probably not that great a protest. Well, and it's reiterating (laughs) that the bigger guy needs you too. the bigger Mm -hmm. guy needs you not to be hurt, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So have we resolved anything? <laughs> Never. <laughs> I mean, per usual, not so much. <laughs> uh, other than, you know, maybe write your senators this weekend or get involved with the local, you know, some local organizers again. Or keep, I mean, it's sort of, I, I always worry about our show because, you know, we're, you know, it, it, I mean, like. <laughs> I mean, I worry about our sanity, but yeah. Well, no, but I mean, when we came up with this, you know, the entire point of this show is sort of, you know, the kinds of stuff that we do for a living to sort of bring it to a popular audience. And we are literally critics. That's part of what cultural studies is. It's just criticizing and figuring out how things work. And it, I just I just want to make sure everybody knows that, you know, as down as we were on all of this stuff, I still think you should do it all right. Like, like I, yeah. like I don't I don't want people to stop posting hashtag BLM or hashtag me too or hashtag defund police like these are all important things that are markers it's more it's this is the education part you know think about what you're really doing yeah. and how yeah. you know what are the actual effects because i think one one thing that i think people miss is i've i've actually had conversations with people going um jesus it's been it's been a year it's been six months and it's it's not getting any better you know how are how do we murder another black man like what the it's fuck are you talking about years. it's been a year, been a year. <laughs> yeah i mean like i've had that conversation with people it's like yeah you, you thought it was a magic wand you know you thought that you were going to post me too and oh god gosh darn it we posted me too and no women get raped anymore isn't that great no it doesn't it doesn't work like that but you are doing the work and sort of you know do the work do as much of the work as you can and you know have reasonable expectations about what you can and can't change and and keep trying anyway yeah and 
I like like to Matt's point, like when we're trying when we're being critical, like we say on a lot of episodes, being critical in a cultural studies academic context doesn't mean like, oh, I hate this. It's about thinking deeply about what something is, how it works, why it works, and whether I mean in this case, whether that's the way we want things to be working. Like uh, how we can make it better. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and keeping in mind that's part of being an actor. Yes, yeah, yeah. And keeping in mind that the tools we have at our disposal are neutral tools or the way to utopia mm-hmm. by themselves. Ah, <laughs> uh, utopia. What you mean Instagram and Facebook isn't gonna lead me to Utopia? I've been lied to. I know, same no. works out. Marble League. <laughs> Marble League's gonna lead you right. to We brought it back. I mean Marble on. League might at least like have, give me a personal utopia for like a couple hours. <laughs> I, I if if it is not, I will have feel as though Mav, you have lied to me. <laughs> I'm telling deeply. Also, John Oliver, I will write John Oliver a personal, heartfelt message if it does not live up to expectations. Uh, Katya, I, 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 I've known you long enough that there, there is no person on this planet that will enjoy Marble League more than you. <laughs> is, this is a sport that is made. This is where I feel like I need to make like, an occasion is- out of it. You guys are telling me basically this. This is this is the part of the internet that was made for me, which I'm afraid to watch it without being fully prepared for that. I might have a nervous breakdown. Oh, it it, it it's lacking cute creatures. It's the only thing. Other than that, it's literally okay, everything. Then I won't have. I won't. It's everything you've like ever dreamed medical... of because it's just marbles. Okay. But like it's literally, it's everything you want out of a sport. I'm telling you. <laughs> oh. A sentence no one has ever said to me before in my life. <laughs> exactly. Oh, <gasps> uh, Josie, thanks for joining us. Oh, thanks for having me. It was fun. Appreciate Anything you it. want to promote? Um, if folks want to uh, find out more about my research, I am infinitely Googleable, so you can um, <laughs> read my dissertation, which talks about a lot of this stuff. If you'd like to, <laughs> uh, absolutely. And Katya. Uh, given given the particular uh, subject of our show, I, show, I think this time I will replug a uh, course I've been working on. University of Michigan, um, called Police Brutality in America. It's a public teach out, like a teach in, but online, um, with a bunch of experts and organizers talking about historical context, theoretical context for what's going on currently. See Katia Jester at the uh, crash fire surrounding us in the United States. <laughs> um, and it also has a lot of resources for how to get involved in various actions in your community, both nationally, internationally, and at the local level, uh, as well as a lot of educational resources. So you can do you can do both things. You can be educated, but also be uh, active participant in social things. Always a good thing. Yep. Um. I have no- and my mom's taking it. So you can talk to my mom. Oh, wow. That's cool. <laughs> I just, I just write Katya's Hi, I'm your daughter's friend. I just want to know what you, what are your thoughts on police brutality? Also, don't listen to, don't listen to the show. I mean, they listen to the show. So, which my parents have never told me their comments about the show. I think they like, just are probably don't want to have a conversation um, about how much I swear. Um, but they listen to it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, well, I guess they download it so we get the stats. I don't know if they actually listen to it, but they download it, which is important. <laughs> that's, that's what matters. I guess, maybe. Well, your parents and everybody else should they should download the show. They should subscribe to us on YouTube. As I said earlier, that's important because we need to get our YouTube stats up. So go there now. Like and subscribe. Hit that bell. Those are I all those things that people say on the YouTube shows that I that I watch. Like I I, I don't know what most of them mean, but I know they're important. So go do that. Because, you know, algorithms. Eh. 
but but also subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor. Leave us a five star review, especially on iTunes, Apple Podcasts. That helps other people find the show, especially if you don't just give us five stars, but you write a review saying what you enjoy about the show. If you enjoyed the show, we would also love it if you'd leave us comments on actually, even if you don't enjoy the show, leave us comments on our blog at www.voxpopcast.com and let us know what you think. That's where you find out about what we're going to be talking about next week. And you can give us thoughts and, you know, that becomes part of the show, becomes part of our research and informs us and lets us know what you want to hear us talking about. You can follow me all over the Internet, pretty much always at Chris Maverick. That's on Instagram and Twitter or on my blog at www.chrismaverick.com. I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song, Building Ever So More Epically and Playing Us Out. Thanks again, Josie, for joining us. Thank you at home for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Great news. Yeah, the strike's been settled. I'm going back to work. (laughs) What strike? H&H Bagels. That's where I worked. You worked? Bagels? Yeah, look, see, I still have my business card. Yeah, we've been on strike for 12 years. <laughs> I remember seeing those guys picketing out there, but I haven't seen them in a long time. Yeah, well, H&H wouldn't let us use their bathroom while we were picketing. <laughs> Put a cramp in our solidarity. <laughs> Your demands. Yeah, five thirty-five an hour, and that's what they're paying now. I believe that's the new minimum wage. And now you know who to thank for that.